You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. We're in the second week of a three-week series, and the series is uh, entitled Everyday Questions. And um, we are tackling some pretty big questions, quite honestly. Uh, You know, last week we asked the question, um, why would an all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful God let bad things happen to good people? That's no small question, is it? And then we also uh, ask, um, why doesn't God answer my prayers? Again, no small uh, question. And um, then this week we're going to look at, again, two two very significant questions. Uh, And in doing so, um, I just want to do the math with you again and and, and help set out our goal. Um, You know, we have a short time to do something really big. We, we have a, a small amount of time to tackle some really large life uh, questions. And so with that, I want to make sure that we understand that the goal is to actually set forth a, a biblical, let me just make sure we understand, a, not my opinion, not your opinion, but a biblical framework of how to how to think and respond to these questions. We're not going to be able to answer every, uh, give an answer to all of the questions, all of the answers that would be due, but we can look to Scripture so at least we can have a framework from which to think when we're pondering these questions, but oftentimes people are going to ask you the questions as well, and so we want to know how to move forward. It's interesting because today uh, we're going to talk a, a, a little bit about death, you're like, great. That's not what I went to church for. We're asking the question, uh, what happens when I die? That's, that's no small question, is it? What happens when I die? Um, we're going to talk about heaven. That's great, isn't it? I mean, uh, heaven is something that uh, God is preparing for us and that we have to look forward to. It's where, our, where we're going to spend eternity. But on the, on the flip side of that, we're actually going to talk a little bit about hell. You don't really hear much talk about hell in church anymore, do you? Um, And so I'll talk a little bit about maybe why we don't. But those are three really big things that we're going to deal with today. So again, we just want to make sure that we have a framework that we can work from uh, so that we can respond in a right way and so we don't get off track. Um, Speaking of death... um, I heard a I heard a, a statistic. I came across a statistic about death this week. Pretty astounding. Uh, are you ready for it? Yes. Research shows that 100% of people die. <laughs> You've probably heard that before, but it's true. Think about it. There's no way around it. 100% of people die. Um, you know, oftentimes uh, fueling the the discussion or the questions that can arise about what happens to me when I die, what is heaven like. Uh, You know, from time to time we come across uh, the stories of people who have had uh, kind of a a, a near-death experience. And what happens is, uh, and with that near-death experience, they have some kind of afterlife encounter. And when we hear those stories, it actually piques our curiosity 
and maybe causes us to ask more questions. Sometimes it can cause confusion if we don't have a biblical foundation. But I thought real quickly, I wanted to just give you an example. I want to read three short uh, uh, kind of summaries of, of some life after death experiences. First, it should be really familiar to probably most everyone in here. It's been a, both a book and a movie. Um, Heaven is for real. Have you? You've, okay. So here's here's kind of the background of that story. Colton Burpo had an emergency surgery on March uh, 5th, 2003, at the age of three. During uh, the three months after surgery, Colton began describing events and people that seemed impossible for him to have known about. Examples include knowledge of an unborn sister miscarried by his mother in 1998, and details of a great-grandfather who lived 30 years before Colton was born. Colton also explained, and this is why we need to make sure we have just a biblical foundation of of what heaven's going to be like. Colton also explained how he met Jesus riding on a rainbow-colored horse, and he sat in Jesus' lap while angels sang songs for him. He also saw Mary kneeling before the throne of God and at other times standing before Jesus. That's a pretty interesting encounter, wouldn't you think? Uh, Here's a second one. It's the story of Jeff Olson in 1997. Jeff experienced a horrible automobile accident which inflicted multiple life-threatening injuries, including crushing both of his legs. He had 18 surgeries, spent six months in the hospital, and his left leg was amputated above the knee. The most devastating outcome of the accident was the loss of his wife and his youngest son. They were both killed instantly. Overwhelmed by his own life-threatening injuries, Jeff tells of a profound near-death experience in which he met his wife on the other side who told him he couldn't stay and he had to return. Having that glimpse into heaven gave him the courage he needed to carry on and care for his living son. So that's another example. And then, and finally, Dr. Mary Neal. Dr. Mary Neal is a board-certified orthopedic spine surgeon who drowned while kayaking on the South America on a South American river. She experienced uh, life after death. According to Neal, she went to heaven and back, conversed with Jesus, and experienced God's encompassing love. Neal says that uh, she returned to Earth uh, to with some specific instructions for work she still needed to do. She describes her life since that time as one filled with miracles and interventions of God. So I read those to you, and my purpose is not to uh, invalidate or to confirm them. Um, I think it's beyond our own personal ability uh, to to confirm or, or deny whether these stories are true, because the reality is these people had this experience. It's very real to them. The point I want to make, and I'll make again later, is that we can't build a biblical theology of heaven, hell, or death on those kinds of experiences. Instead, um, we have to understand that we only know in part. In fact, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 12, which really gives us a true understanding of what we're dealing with. Uh, if I can find it. Give me a moment. 13, 12, yeah. 13 still comes after 12, doesn't it? it, I want you to actually read this with me. I think it's going to be on the screens as well. Um, And when I'll say go, we'll start, okay? Go. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. So really, as Paul writes, he helps us understand that we have limited knowledge. 
The reality of it is, until you and I experience these two realities for ourselves, we will never fully understand. Our understanding will always be limited. So it's with that limited knowledge that we will even attempt to probe into and scratch the surface on understanding uh, a, a biblical perspective on these issues that we're talking about today. And so in doing so, I thought maybe the best place to start with is to make sure that we have a common uh, working understanding of what death is. And maybe you say, well, death, death is death. You're here, you're not. Well, that, that's true. But for the sake of this study, I want to make sure that we're just on the same page. So could we all agree that we are more than just the flesh and blood structure that we have? There's more to us than that. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So we're actually made of what? Three parts. We're made of this body, flesh and blood, but we're also made of soul and we're made of, of, of spirit. So when death occurs, it's not actually the end of our existence. What happens is at death, this body ceases to exist, but the soul and the spirit depart and they go on. Does that make sense? I mean, that's, that would be our common working definition. So... Um, I guess that begs for the question, then where or how, what? Where do the spirit and the soul, where do they go on to? Where, do they, where is their existence after this body no longer uh, has life in it here on earth? Well, um, I think that is founded, it rests on the answer to how a person responds to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. When you go, that would have that would have great impact on uh, where you spend eternity. In fact, two passages of scripture, John three sixteen, um, very uh, known to all of us, I believe. It says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life." So we know that when we say yes to the gospel, what happens? We enter into a relationship with Jesus. We're reunited. We're redeemed. Or restored into relationship with God, and we spend eternity with Him. But then, if you look in uh, verse 36 of that same chapter, chapter 3, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So, what we have is a contrast. We have a contrast between the person who believes and the person who does not believe. We have a contrast between heaven, and we have a contrast between eternity and hell. The contrast is, is very obvious. So maybe uh, as we look and answer the question of what happens uh, after a person dies, we look first at what happens to the person who is a believer, who said yes to the gospel message. Um, <clears throat> this last August, my 95-year-old mom, uh, she passed on into eternity. She was... Uh, she became a believer when she was uh, in her teen years, I think around 16 or 17. So that would have mean that in the 1930s, she accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And from that point on, although not perfect, as none of us are, she did her best to live a lifestyle that exemplified what life in Christ uh, was all about. In her later years, she became very ill, and she spent her final days in a nursing home. And... Um, Sometime in August, uh, early in the morning, around 2 o'clock in the morning, there was a call uh, from the nursing home staff that said my mom had passed. So what happened to her as a believer when she passed? So I, I, love, I love what happened to her. She took her last breath here on earth in that uh, nursing room, and without skipping a beat, she took her very next breath in the presence of God. Amen. Just uh, without a doubt. 
Again, she took her last breath in a room uh, in a nursing home in Gaffney, South Carolina, and then suddenly, her very next breath, she was in eternity. She was in the presence of Almighty God. That's pretty incredible that God's planned it that way, isn't it? That He would care for us so much that that death is really not a reality for us who believe. Uh, How do I know that that's what happened to her? Well, I want to go ahead and tell you, there's a lot of Scripture we're going to look at today. Uh, I'm going to turn, I'm going to have you read some, not by yourself. I'm not going to have you stand up and read it out loud. (laughs) We'll read it together. Uh, But we can't because we want a biblical basis. So um, two passages of Scripture that would prove that is one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you want to turn there, and I think it's going to come up on the screens. Uh, Chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, it says, Therefore... We are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. And then I want you to look at Philippians chapter 1, or listen as I read, beginning in verse verse. Six, I believe. Um, no, verse. Let's look at that again. Verse twenty-one. Uh, it says, "For it is for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean faithful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So." What do, we, what do we realize from those two passages? Well, I think quite simply, Paul is saying, if I am present in this body, then I am absent from the Lord. Now, it's important that we understand, not spiritually absent. Because when we enter into relationship with Jesus Christ, we know He actually lives within us. But it's spatially. In, in other words, uh, not in His physical presence. It means that because of that, Uh, In this body, as believers, we're living by faith, not by sight. As we live by faith, again, we see dimly, right? Instead of in the completeness, in the fullness that we will have. What Paul is also saying, the contrast is, but to be absent from this body as a believer means that I'm present with the Lord. That's that thing, one breath here, the next breath there, in eternity with Him. That I am present with the Lord. Then it means that I no longer live by faith. But I live by sight because I've had the fullness of God revealed to me because I am with him in his presence. Isn't that incredible? When you think about it, that we have that to look forward to. That the time is coming where we'll no longer have to live by faith. But we will live by sight. The two passages provide us with a foundation that allows us to say the moment we take our last breath, our spirit and soul depart from our body and we're present with Jesus. Again, that's incredible when you think about it. Last breath here, next breath, we're present. We're in the presence of God. Now, it can get a little confusing. Oftentimes people ask the question, so if, I, if I'm in the presence of Jesus as soon as I die, but yet heaven is a place that's being prepared. What, is, what does that mean? And so uh, I think we have to understand this. Though that is our immediate transitional state, it's not our eternal state. 
Does that confuse you more? <laughs> Though that's our immediate transitional state, it's not our eternal state. As believers, when we die, we immediately find ourselves in the presence of the Lord. But at the same time, we're waiting for the return of Christ. Christ is going to come back for us, right? So we're waiting on the return of Christ. We're waiting on the resurrection of, the, of our bodies. We're going to have glorified bodies. And so... Uh, we're waiting on that to happen and we're waiting to live out eternal life in the new heaven and the new earth. Now you could see how those things alone could cause us to study for the next few years on this whole topic. But again, we're just scratching the surface. We're laying a framework for which we can think. So when Jesus returns, we'll receive a glorified and perfect body. And you find reference to that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 through 44. And in 44, what it tells us is that uh, now we have an earthly body, but then we're going to have a spiritual body. That body is going to be glorified. And so we have something to look for. So um, that is what happens to a believer immediately upon death in the presence of Jesus. But what happens when an unbeliever dies? This isn't as pleasant of a conversation, is it? Uh, In fact, in my opinion, in, in, in the realms that I have been able to be in, it's interesting, but we don't hear much talk about the alternative these days. We don't really hear a lot of talk about fire and brimstone. We don't really hear a lot of talk about hell. And trust me, I'm not um, campaigning that we would do a series on hell. I'm really not. I think that the facts are, are quite enough. We don't even have to spend a lot of time on it today. But I began to wonder why. I wonder why we don't hear much about it today. We don't really hear much talk about heaven, if you think about it. But we hear even less about the alternative of of hell. And I wonder if maybe it's for this reason, for those who reject Jesus Christ will be eternally separated from God and spend eternity in torment. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. Romans, I'm sorry, chapter 2. Yeah. Romans chapter 2, verse 8. It says, But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath, and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. So that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? When we reject the gospel message, when a person rejects the gospel message, the alternative is not eternity in the presence of God, but eternity in a place where there's torment. Um, the Barna Research Group. Uh, conducted a survey uh, on the reality of hell, and of all surveyed, they found that only 32% of adults believe that hell is an actual place. Only 32% of, of adults believe that hell is an actual place. Uh, Christine or Corinne Gotti wrote an article, and the article is titled "Why the Church Doesn't Preach on Hell: What Happened to Preaching About Fire and Brimstone." And again, I'm not campaigning for, you know, a series on fire and brimstone, but I, I thought it was interesting. She cited five reasons why she believes that we don't hear about this in church anymore. And she said, first of all, it's not popular. Can you imagine inviting a friend to church and they say, so "What's what's what, what what's your pastor talking about? Hell?" Yeah, I'm going to pass. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to go today. Yeah, I'm just going to pass on that. Um, So it's not popular. Um, 
the second thing she stated is, and I believe this is true as uh, as a society, and oftentimes even in the church, we lack the fear of God. We, we've, we've lost a fear, we've lost a reverence for the fear of God. When we talk about the fear of God, it's not that we should cower from Him, we're afraid, but there's a, there's a reverence, there's a respect that He is the God, the Creator of the universe, and that we honor Him in, in all we do. So, uh, possibly because we lack the fear of God. Uh, and then the third reason was the reality of hell is questioned. And we saw that from the statistic. Uh, you know, many don't believe that hell is an actual place. Um, uh, the fourth one was kind of funny. It doesn't add to church attendance. Again, if you're going to invite your friends, hey, bring your family out. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about hell, and I'm sure you won't want to miss it. <laughs> Think about that. I'm sure you do want to miss it. <laughs> uh, so it doesn't really bolster church attendance. And finally, it would require accountability. You know, if there's a choice to make, if there's... To accept the gospel and live a lifestyle according to that gospel or to reject the gospel and then you by default live a lifestyle by that, then uh, there's some accountability there that as a believer, you know, if we believe that hell is a, is a, is a real place. Um, I don't, some of you might have been here a few weeks ago. It's actually before me, but um, you know, I'm not campaigning for a, a series on hell, but it would have sounded a few weeks ago like Pastor Aaron might have been. Were you here in the service? Uh, so Pastor Aaron is from Helena, Montana, and so he was welcoming, and in that uh, was kind of thinking back to the city he used to be from, and he, he, he started, he says, welcome to hell, and he realized he was saying the wrong thing. So what came out is, welcome to hell. That's not what we want to do at church. Not at all. So we, you could tease him about that a little bit. He caught himself, though. That's what's good. So I would say enough about hell. Let's talk about heaven. Um, again, we're only going to be able to scratch the surface. But um, you know, I started thinking, there's a, lot, there's a lot of musical people in here, so you can help me with this. There's a lot of songs that have been written about uh, heaven. I started to say about hell, that too. But uh, what are some of the songs that come to mind when you think about songs that have been written about heaven? When we all get to heaven, I can only imagine. I know there's more than two. <laughs> somebody, huh? Heaven's jubilee. Heaven's jubilee. Uh, somebody said uh, one in the first service. Uh, heaven is a wonderful place. Beulah land. Beulah land. Yeah, it's about heaven. Yeah. Anybody else? Those are all Christian songs. I'm sure there's a lot of, we won't name them today, but a lot of other songs that have been written. We'll, we'll skip over those. Um, you know, earlier I referenced some of the life after death, people who went to heaven experiences. And again, um, I'm not trying to devalue in any way. I'm really not trying to devalue those experiences. I believe that that, that is their reality and uh, there could be great truth in that. But if you try to develop a theology of heaven by just going to a website and reading about near-death experiences. You're going to be in trouble. We're going to be in trouble, right? Because that's what I did with these. I just went to... There's actually a website that's called NDE, Near-Death Experiences. And you know, there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of stories. But what if, what if everything I said today was built on those things? I would, I would be off base. Uh, actually, you'd say... You'd call Pastor Farrell and say, uh, we need to rethink this decision. <laughs> Uh, so we have to make sure that Scripture is the, the authority. Uh, because remember again, 
we only see dimly. We don't see fully. And until we experience these realities, we're not going to see fully. So it's important that we just simply look to find out what the Scripture tell us about heaven. And that's where our theology comes. So really what we're going to do is we're just going to spend the last few minutes and we're just going to walk through some scriptures that actually just tell us about heaven. And we're going to let the the scripture speak for itself. So we're going to start with John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. I'll read it to you. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples, and he said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Uh, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, uh, that you uh, you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. So we see from that verse that heaven is a place that is being prepared for us. Jesus himself is preparing it. And then I'm not going to have you turn there or look there, but in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it talks about the fact that actually when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, our citizenship changes and our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. So we are actually citizens of heaven. We are, our citizenship is in heaven. So uh, based on the authority of Scripture right off the bat, we can know heaven is a real place where God dwells, and it will be the eternal dwelling place of those who receive Christ as their Savior. But when we continue to look on, I want us to look at five other passages of Scripture that just give us an indication of what heaven is going to be like. And it starts in Revelation 21.4. According to Revelation 21.4, heaven will be a place of perfection. There will be no sickness, no sorrow, or pain. Heaven will be a place of perfection. There will be no sickness, no sorrow, no pain. Here's the passage. Would you read it with me? It's, uh, it's going to come up on the screens. It might be in your notes. Revelation 21.4. Let's read it. Let's go. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Isn't that incredible to think that there will be no more death, there will be no more pain, there will be no more sorrow? That's incredible. It's, it begs of thing. I can only imagine what that would be like. But yet we have a promise that it's going to happen, so we can anticipate that. Um, the next uh, passage of Scripture you don't have in your notes, but you might want to write this down. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17. According to 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17, heaven will be a place of reunion. We will be reunited with family and friends, and we will know each other. So now begin to think about uh, the people who have gone before. So when I get to heaven, I know that I'm going to be reunited with our, our son that I spoke of last week that was stillborn, Charles Bascom Wilson. I'm going, to, I'm going to be reunited with him. And I'm going to be reunited with my mom who passed away last year. Cammie's going to be reunited with her father who passed away some 28 years ago. And all of you now have, uh, uh, you have people that you're thinking of and you think, I'm going to be reunited with them because they had relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm going to see them again. Um, Here's what the passage says. I'll read it to you. After that, 
We who are all still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So the thought is, is that we're caught up together, that we go up as a family. Now, the relationships change when we're in heaven. Uh, again, so many weeks that we could talk about this. But Jesus in one of the uh, parables talks about that, you know, we're not given in marriage in heaven. But that doesn't mean I won't know who Cammy is. It doesn't mean that I won't still love her, but but we'll be reunited. One of the passages of Scripture that's often used to support this is in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. It's a kingdom parable. It's about the the master who was going away and gave talents to his his servants while they were gone to take care of them. And when he came back, uh, you know the story, and uh, he said, um, uh, Well done, good and faithful servant. and so, uh, you know what? I just gave you the wrong passage of Scripture. You just all figured that out, didn't you? Yeah, hold on to that. I'm thinking, that does not work with what I was just saying. The, um, uh, the passage in the, in the Transfiguration, it's the story of the Transfiguration. I told you last week, I am not perfect. When I get to heaven, I will be. But I will sometimes mess it up. And I am thankful in advance that you are so gracious already about that. But the passage in, this, in Matthew 17, 1 through 9, is the story of the Transfiguration. And the thought is, is that Peter, James, and John saw Jesus, Moses, and Elijah in their glorified state. And they recognized them. They recognized them for who they were. Okay, now let's go on. According to Revelation 19.4, heaven will be a place of worship where we'll join the angels in worship of God. Um, the passage says, and you can read this with me in, in verse 19.4. you ready? The 24 elders, ready? The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne and they cried, Amen. Hallelujah. So... When we get to heaven, you know, we sing, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing will be. It's not going to be just a day of rejoicing. It's going to be an eternity of rejoicing uh, in the presence of God, worshiping Him uh, at all times. But it's not only that. Matthew 25, 23 helps us to know that heaven is a place of assignment. We'll serve God for all eternity. We'll serve God for all eternity. This is the parable that I was talking about a moment ago. In the parable of the kingdom, uh, and, and so God said, uh, the, the, the master said to the servants, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. Now I'm going to put you in charge of much. And so we can understand, and that was a kingdom parable. It was helping us look ahead to heaven. And so one of the things that we know is we're not just going to sit around on cloud playing a harp and singing all the time, but there's going to be work to do. There's going to be service to do. And then finally, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, heaven will be a place of reward. We will be rewarded for our service on earth. And let me read you the passage. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will be each be rewarded according to their own labor. So when we look ahead, so for instance... There's some 60 volunteers who are going to come and work uh, with the kids over the next three days. 
And they're going to do some incredible kingdom business. They are going to impact the the lives of those 100 plus kids who will gather here over the next three evenings. They're going to share the gospel story. They're going to help them grow in a relationship with Jesus. And you know what? They can look forward. They're not doing it for this, but they can look forward to when they get to heaven, they can count on the fact that there will be rewards waiting on them. And the same is true for us, that we will receive reward for what we've done. So, as I close, I think this is what we can summarize. Heaven is truly a prepared place for a prepared people. So I began to think about this this past week. I started thinking, wow, there's so many people who have rejected the gospel, who have not said yes. And you probably know many people, at least some people, who have not prepared for eternity. You could even be here today yourself and not be prepared for eternity. Listen, it's never too late. But for those people you know who do not yet know Jesus, I want to challenge you that you make them, you allow them to arise to the top of your daily prayer list and that you begin to pray that they will respond to the work of God. God's always working in their lives. It's just a matter of whether or not they'll respond. And that you would begin to pray in such a way that not long from now, you would be able to come back and tell stories of, we started praying for their salvation, and on this day they said yes to Jesus. And we started praying for this person and their salvation, and on this day they said yes to Jesus. And we can make an an impact in the kingdom by doing that. Would you bow your heads as we pray? Father, thank you. Thank you for uh, thank you for giving your son Jesus to die for us. Uh, thank you that because we say yes to the gospel, that we know we can be assured that we have uh, the promise of eternity. Uh, experience it even now, but uh, then we look forward to heaven as a place where we'll live and reign with you and serve with you. But Father God, I want to pray for those whom we have identified in our own lives who do not yet know you. And so right now we do. We move them to the top of our our prayer list, Father God, and we commit that we will pray for them on a daily basis, that they will respond to the call of salvation and that their life will be transformed and that we know that we can be joined with them when we're in heaven, Father God. We just ask that you do that. And I pray today for anybody here who may not know you, that they would accept you as Savior even this day. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.